Welcome to the Commentary Magazine Daily Podcast. Today is Monday, March 20th, 2023. I am John Podhoritz, the editor of Commentary Magazine. With me as always, Executive Editor Abe Greenwald. Hi, Abe. Hi, John. Media Commentary Columnist and American Enterprise Institute Senior Fellow, Christine Rosen. Hi, Christine. Hi, John. And Washington Commentary Columnist and American Enterprise Institute Senior Fellow, Matthew Continetti. Hi, Matt. Hi, John. Abe just said something interesting before we came on the air. He said uh, Trump's enemies would not rest until they brought him back to life. And here we are. Uh, we don't know if they, if Trump is going to get indicted. On t- Apparently, he's not going to get indicted on Tuesday the way he said he was going to get indicted on Tuesday. This whole story about the Manhattan DA started a week ago with the news that Trump had been invited to testify before the grand jury that he had convened to look into the stormy daniels hush money payments thus indicating that a an indictment was imminent because you only do this when an indictment is imminent and uh here we are uh we have the speaker uh, excuse me not the speaker of the house the minority leader of the house of representatives condemning the manhattan da's overreach we have Republicans everywhere saying, you know, this is terrible what he's doing. We now have a secondary fight in the uh, presidential nominating process with Trump people demanding to know why Ron DeSantis hasn't condemned Alvin Bragg, the Manhattan DA, for the indictment he has yet to issue and and so on. And I think as 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 Abe w- w- was indicated, nothing could give Trump oxygen more than uh, than a than an unjust uh, or weak or um, I would say an indictment that isn't open and shut uh, is is how I would put it. Like you 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 don't play games when you're dealing with the most high profile case in American legal history. I mean, maybe it's not the most most high profile case. Maybe O.J. Simpson would be a more high profile case or what was going on with the special prosecutor and Clinton would be a more high profile case. But it, it's close. It's up there. Uh, totally unprecedented. And um, if the leaks are correct, I've yet to read a single legal analyst, including legal analysts on the left, who are saying he's got him. Boy, it's all this like, well, this is interesting. This is a novel and novel approach to law. And it makes no sense in this because I keep telling people maybe Bragg has something else because I frankly, I cannot believe that he's going to do this because the argument that he is going to make is that the purpose of Trump's actions that he will indict him for wasn't to shut up a porn star talking about his affair with her. It was to commit another crime that's more important, that is the felony, because the hush money is not a crime. There is no crime in paying hush money. The only crime potential here has to do with whether or not A was a campaign finance, uh, a, a, a violation of campaign finance law. Which, by the way, is not a state level law, and this is right. would be a state level indictment. Okay, so so he has to prove that this that basically he's got to make the argument that Trump was up to something criminal, and that this was the modality in which the criminality was expressed, and that is a really, really, really weird case. Because it's one thing if everybody on earth could understand 
he pays hush money to a porn star because either he doesn't want it to come out while he's running for president or he doesn't want his wife to know about it, whatever, right? That and so, but it turns out, see, that's not a crime. It's bad. It's morally unspeakable. He's a disgusting piece of turd and his behavior is un, is is just repulsive and yet america voted him in as president so fine so that's not a crime so now invent a crime i mean it's essentially what seems to be happening and i just how what 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 Michigan, what lunacy has overtaken alvin bragg that he thinks that this is a good idea well because he 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 didn't he didn't uh, bring charges to Trump before, um, so he's feeling all this political pressure. But it's just amazing. The more I think about it, just just to add to this point about how they they sort of brought him back to life. I remember we had a podcast two months ago, something like that, and we sort of discussed as a topic the sense that suddenly Trump wasn't the center of the universe anymore, and how that was sort of disorienting for a news consumer you know uh and then he was you know at some point he was he was down there selling you know e e trading cards or whatever you know i mean he was really like sort of like in in this kind of new wilderness and then then sort of bit by bit kind of overplaying the classified documents issue and then uh on among democrats and then they're sort of getting called called out for it on their end um, uh, and then, and now of course this, and he is front and center. Once again, we are right back in the Trump universe. This is forget zombie Reaganism. This is, this is zombie Trumpism. <laughs> I had a great, uh, vision of future AP history classes when, uh, John was going on his opening monologues. They review the great trials in American history. You know, the Zenger trial, Scopes trial, S- Scopes trial, <laughs> Zach Sacco and Vanzetti, the Rosenbergs, uh, you know, you get, yeah, the O.J. Simpson case, and then uh, you wind up with uh, Trump and the adult film actress. That would be a, and that's, of course, if this case even goes to trial. Uh, I'm just struck again by the convoluted legal theory that is uh, motivating uh, the Manhattan District Attorney Alvin Bragg here. And I just want to read something that popped in my inbox this morning. Um, <clears throat> this is one uh legal pundits take on um, the pending indictment against Donald Trump. Quote, this appears to be a very difficult case to prosecute based on what we know publicly. Prosecuting a former president would always be a challenge, but this particular prosecution is unusual. Reportedly, the district attorney will charge that the hush money payment to Stormy Daniels was a campaign contribution. Jurors could disagree with that allegation, instead viewing it as a payment made to avoid personal embarrassment. There would be legal challenges associated with that charge as well. Prosecutors also have to prove that Trump had the intent to defraud in relation to recording the hush money payment as a payment for legal expenses. And there are questions about how they will be able to do that, this legal mind continues. In addition, prosecutors will likely rely on the testimony of Michael Cohen, a convicted liar and fraudster who has made money criticizing Trump and has very strong negative feelings toward him. There is also risk that the jury will disregard his testimony, close quote. That is from Renato Mariotti, who established himself as, you know, a fixture on CNN and in Politico magazine during the whole uh, Mueller investigation into, into the alleged collusion between Donald Trump's campaign and Russia. So if it's not 
uh, clearing the bar for Renato Mariotti, who is one of the faces of the legal resistance. I'm not sure it's going to clear the bar for the, in the court of the public opinion. Now, a, a, a jury in New York City, you know, ultra blue New York, maybe, but the the, the weakness of this case, as we um, see it, as it's coming into view, is just a, a gift to Trump. I think that's the difference between this potential indictment and the other looming investigations into Trump is that if Trump is indicted for his actions surrounding January 6th, if Trump is indicted for his um, obstruction of justice in keeping the documents um, uh, from the National Archives, I think people can kind of understand that. This the money to Michael Cohen to pay off the porn star in 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 the middle of 2015 or 2016, seven years ago, and the case was dead until Alvin Bragg, the far left district attorney in New York City, who isn't prosecuting misdemeanors, right, right, criminals, right, right, (laughs) yeah, well, shoplifting and is now raising a misdemeanor is like using using sleight of hand to raise a misdemeanor to a felony because he won't prosecute misdemeanors anyway. And federal prosecutors already looked at this case and decided it wasn't something worth prosecuting. I mean, that's the other thing. Like, you're you're right to remind everyone it's been seven years, right? And the federal prosecutors looked at it. They're like, nope, not enough here. Not a there there for us. And the other case that actually I, I wouldn't mind in terms of, you know, uh, reviving democracy to have people take a closer look at is his election interference in Georgia. That's another legal uh, issue he's he's sorting out now. Matt's absolutely right. All the other legal um, items of jeopardy for Trump have some basis in in reality. This really does. I mean, I hate to say it. It really does look like a witch hunt. He will use it. He's been already this over the weekend. He's been fundraising over this. So whether or not he's you know, we, he's not going to get a perp walk in hand cuffs like the resistance long wanted him to have during his entire term as president but he's gonna he, this will uh redound to his advantage even if he even if a jury finds him if a jury finds him guilty i think what is it four-year sentence um okay I first just, of I, all first of all we, there are many steps along the way right. one of which is that yeah maybe a, a, a blue jury in new york will find him guilty a judge can, can very easily yeah. throw this out on summary exactly. judgment exactly it's like i don't want to sit in a courtroom for six months and hear this case like this case is garbage and I'm also not, i'm not going to listen to it and the, and the thing about this is also that no matter the outcome whether a judge throws it out whether trump wins whether he loses it's all bad for the country if he, if if a, if a judge throws it out it's like th- yeah. there you go of course he threw it out because because this is a garbage political politicized case and that's where we are now if 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 a jury finds trump guilty I don't even want to think what 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 will be unleashed, uh, and and if Trump is you know goes down the whole road and is and is found innocent, then then he's then he's on top of the world. I mean, there is zero good outcome here. I want to talk a little bit about Trump's response, which I think is what actually elevated this to um, the major news over the weekend, because it, you know as we were saying, we've been talking about. Um, Alvin Bragg inviting witnesses in, giving Trump the opportunity to uh, speak to the ground jury. We kind of have known that this case is coming to a, an impasse, but it was Trump's truth social post over the weekend saying that his uh, arrest would happen uh, Tuesday, March 21st, and then calling on his supporters to engage in mass protests and take their country back that I think 
really seized the media's attention because the language was um, uh, resonant of uh, Trump's tweets in advance of January 6th. So I, I, I'm curious what you all think about that. I, the the disturbing way in which Trump speaks to his, or it's less the way Trump speaks than what his most committed supporters hear that right. is truly disturbing to me. Well, Matt, you, you said uh, last week that, you know, Trump uh, is a genius in part because he speaks in code. Right. So he said, protest, protest, protest. Well, And take our nation mean, back. Take our nation right. back. But that the... can mean 75,000 different things. Right. What? You're not allowed to protest? I thought protest was the highest form of patriotism. But does protest mean standing in front of the courthouse saying, how dare you do this? Or does it mean that you, you know... Well, to a mentally Ill, to a mentally it, ill person you, who's on who's on some kind of chat chan, one of the yeah. chans, twenty chan, sixteen yeah. chan, you know, they'll see this, and who knows what else is being posted there, and that could easily escalate to, into violence. So, right, right. it's it's yeah. It, oh, what do you mean? I thought protest was the highest form of patriotism. Sure, but it's, that's not what we're worried about. We're worried right. about the psycho who hears Trump and like it doesn't. It, it, Trump speaks. I've always thought that Trump kind of speaks like um, on several frequencies at once. Only one frequency of which rational human beings hear. Yeah. Right. But then there are all these other frequencies we don't understand. We can't. Right. We have no access to. But when some nut hears them, you don't know what's going to happen. And that's what really worries me. I was also struck by the fact that the leading Republicans kind of push back on Trump on this protest question. Like Kevin McCarthy, you know, they're having the House retreat as we speak in Florida. And Ke Speaker McCarthy said, well, you know, I don't know if protest is necessarily the right way to go about it. Right. Yeah. Even Marjorie Taylor Greene was like, oh, well, that would be an Antifa false flag. You know, we don't want to do. We need to be careful here yeah. how we behave. I think that was revealing of a certain um, perception of political vulnerability on the part of elected Republicans. Well, let's talk about political vote because we're all saying, okay, this is, you know, this is going to make Trump stronger and all of that because it's a bad case. And eventually, however it comes out, it'll help him. And I actually <clears throat> don't think that's true. I mean, I think that it may in some fashion or other make it easier for him to get the Republican nomination for president. But if he is indicted and th there is, there isn't going to be a perp walk. Uh, there will not be a perp op and there, and there will not be sort of like a mugshot. But there will be something in or around the courtroom when he has to enter the courtroom. He has to be arrested after he is indicted. So there has to be an arrest and there has to be some visual representation. There will be some visual representation of the arrest. He will be in the dock. He may have handcuffs on. Because that is how you handle somebody in a courthouse as they're on their way to the, it's a big building, but it has very narrow corridors. You can clear the corridors, but people have to be allowed into the courtroom. There could be a, uh, maybe somebody has a camera, maybe somebody has a sketch pad. There will be an image of Trump as the arrested person in a courtroom. And while that may be a martyrology for a lot of people and may win him the Republican nomination. I submit 
that that image is the image <clears throat> that every that could make it impossible will make it impossible for him to win the presidency because all they really need all the resistance or the anti whatever all they really need is a is a visual reminder to people in September October of 2024 for those 5 million independent voters who will decide the election and who will go nah, I don't really need this for another 4 years Maybe even they think that he was unjustly prosecuted. It doesn't even matter. It's more like I just this show has got to be canceled, I, you know, or I, I gotta, you know, I gotta unsubscribe from the cable channel because it's driving me crazy. And I, I, I really do think that that is the likeliest outcome of an indictment. I don't know. I'm obviously this is wild speculation. You shouldn't count Trump out. Da 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 da. But he lost. By 7 million votes before he was indicted. I don't know why those 7 million votes will come to him because he was indicted, even if the case is thrown out. He's not a person that generates sympathy. And like you say, oh, this is really terrible. Look what they're doing to him. Now, there's a lot of people who feel that way and uh, understand that, you know, being, being subjected to criminal prosecution if that criminal prosecution is unjust is like a nightmare and all of that. But Trump doesn't want you to feel sorry for him. Right. He want, I mean, he wants you to feel like he's a killer and he'll, you know, he'll kill, he'll kill your enemies for you. The, the, the thing that you can get is the sympathy of people who say he's being treated unjustly. And of course he says that, right. I'm being very, no one has ever been treated as unfairly as I am. Well, but can I I just th this made me think I'm going to interject for a second yeah. to say it's quite a contrast with how Bill Clinton parlayed his, you know, uh, accusations based on a sexual, you know, uh, peccadillo uh, while president, because he actually did appeal to people's sympathy. Right. There was there was a you know, and that was his whole political style, empathy, you know, really kind of he, he loved people to love him. And so he worked that angle really well. And I will say people bought it, not just his, not just his dedicated voters, but the country kind of decided like, you know what, he's, they're, they're hounding him over this deeply human flaw that we can all understand as fellow human beings. And yeah, he might've lied under oath, but you know, he was pressured to it by this, you know, insane, insane special prosecutor. Like they were able to rationalize um, overlooking what was in fact an egregious abuse of power by a man in, in the Oval Office against an intern. So, but he told a different story and he did, he didn't, he played the victim in a very different way. So the question is whether the country has changed so dramatically that the Trump approach, it, whether that will land with a, with a majority of people in the way that the Clinton approach did. But I think, uh, I mean, I totally agree that it's, it's very different in that Trump is not a figure that elicits sympathy, but he has something else that he uses, which is that he can he can get if in his pleading and his complaints about his being victimized, he can get people to say this guy has a point about the system. Um, it's it's a it's a it's a it's I don't know if it's as powerful, less powerful, more powerful than actual sort of personally identifying with with someone's plight. But he can get he can get people on board with the message as a result of of what he's what he's portraying as a, a campaign of victimization. I, I'm not entirely convinced this will help him in the primary in the long run. A few things. First is there is definitely a rallying around uh, Trump after the FBI 
conducted the search of Mar-a-Lago. But that bounce did not last all that long. And recall that by November, um, Trump was uh, actually looking pretty weak as a result of the documents case, as a result of Ron DeSantis's overwhelming re-election victory. Um, and then, of course, as a result of that uh, atrocious dinner he had with uh, America's uh, leading anti-Semite, Kanye West, and Kanye West's neo-Nazi pal. Um, there's might be something happening here as well. We've seen um, even as the House Republicans say, well, you know, we don't really need necessarily protest and arrest. They are definitely rallying around him with um, calls to basically bring uh, Alvin Bragg in front of the House of Representatives um, and investigate the sources of funding or the office, something. So the, the House, which has traditionally been kind of the bulwark of Trump's support, um, is playing his blocking tackle here. However, Trump world is outraged that several um, current and potential contestants for the Republican nomination are very discreet. Nikki Haley was in South Carolina over the weekend. She didn't bring it up at all. Ron DeSantis, his silence has been noticed by the media, by Trump world. And I think there's a sense that, okay, well, let's see how this plays out there. First, you know, is the indictment going to happen? But then two, you know, does it actually, will that redound to Trump's benefit in the long run when we're still uh, nine months at least uh, from the first caucus? Um, And finally, I I do think we need to understand that if this happens, if Trump is booked uh, in the way that John described, it may be the first time he's going to undergo this process. Um, over the course of the next year. And so I think Republican voters, primary voters may say, oh gosh, this, you know, Soros attorney, New York City, he's on this political witch hunt. This is ridiculous. But then if it happens again, and all of a sudden Trump's indicted in Georgia, he has to go down there. He has to go through that. Um, And, you know, there too is, oh, she's going to be Fonnie Willis. She clearly has ambitions in Georgia and Georgia politics, but still, okay. And then, if it happens a third time where it's federal charges, I think even Republican voters might go, oh, you know, really? And and plus, by the way, dealing with all of these cases, and we haven't even mentioned there's a civil, there's a defamation suit going on from um, Gene Carroll. Gene Carroll, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that occupies a lot of a person's time, even Donald Trump's, you know? And um, so I, I, I agree there's going to be this rallying around Trump now. But I, I'm more in the kind of the Chris Christie camp saying, you know, in the in the long run, this might even hurt his chances for the GOP nomination. Well, look, the, then the question is whether anyone is going to come four square at it as follows, which isn't to say they have to say that Bragg is right. I mean, whatever. Who cares? I mean, because ordinarily you would say, look, this isn't my business. I wasn't on the grand jury. You know, uh, let this go, let let this work its way through the courts. I don't know whether it's unjust or not. Like that, you know, he's he is innocent until proven guilty, and I will presume his innocence, and so should everybody else. But you know, this notion that you prejudge the case, even though we just obviously prejudge the case, but I mean, you know that that would be the dodge for anybody under 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 ordinary circumstances. Um. What you can say is the 2024 election is not about Donald Trump. It's about you. Uh, We're not going to spend two years. You know, the presidency shouldn't be assigned to someone 
because you feel like he's being hard done by the liberal elite. The question is, we're all in a job interview and we're trying to convince you that we can do the best job for you and achieve results. And Donald Trump is about Donald Trump. And this, this will be about Donald Trump. And he, if, if you can figure out a way to say that, if you're Ron DeSantis or somebody else, um, Trump will provide you with daily evidence of the rightness of your argument, because I think I made this analogy last week that like when Lenny Bruce got indicted for, uh, for being a pornographer and, you know, saying terrible things, um, this guy who was a sort of famously wild anarchic standup ended up, people would go to his shows and then he would read from the transcripts of his, uh, of his obscenity trial uh, in front of the Manhattan DA actually. And people would sit there and go, what the hell is this? Like I came for a comedy show. Like, I don't want to hear him read transcripts of his mistreatment. And that is literally how Trump is going to behave for the next year if he is indicted, like he can't help himself. You think, you know, be having the election stolen from him is bad. Like actually being indicted in a way that he actually thinks genuinely believes, which I don't think he really believes in the case of the election fraud is unjust. He just won't be able to shift gears. I mean, he's already said, I'll be your retribution, but now he's basically going to be asking the voters to be his retribution. Well, what he always me because I'm being mistreated and that is there's a huge field for people to play at against him if they have if they're not too chicken. Hey, well, I mean, I mean the way he always frames this exact uh, uh question is they're coming after you but they're coming after me first because I'm in the way. I'm I'm defending you. So this is so they're 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 coming after your defense right now. Don't don't let them. There's do actually that. a Trump meme that circulates where it shows him looking, you know, sitting in a chair, and it says, you know, they yeah. they're targeting me, but they're really coming for you. Just exactly yeah. exactly yeah. that. I, I came across a quote uh, this morning um, from Caden uh, Dawson, who's a former GOP chair of South Carolina. He's endorsed Nikki Haley, and he said, "Look, Trump base isn't going to be moved by anything." That's we're not playing for the Trump base, yeah. which is, you know, about a third, a little bit more than a third of the party. We're playing for everybody else. And so you need to have you. You don't want the Trump base to be actively against you, but you also realize that they're really not up for grabs. And the situation of a potential indictment, a criminal pro- procedure uh, presents someone like Nikki Haley, someone like Ron DeSantis, an opportunity to say, OK, you know, I understand you, Trump base, but I also think we need to move on. I mean, I think that's the general. That's how you kind of present it. You don't you don't necessarily yeah. attack him frontally, especially on this, and even say Mike Pence. It's interesting to uh, track Mike Pence's behavior over the weekend because you know Pence has been spending weeks kind of ramping up his attacks on Trump for January sixth. Um, but then when this news came down the pike, Pence has said he he basically defended trump and he said you know it it you need to have a high bar for indicting a former president and the manhattan da has not cleared that bar so you want to say to 
if you're a candidate, uh, understand Trump, this, this case, if it's brought, it has real weaknesses, but, but in August, when they have the first debate, it's time we look forward. We need to move on. We need to look forward. We need to move on. And I think that has the potential to, to, um, appease the Trump base while also rallying a coalition of the non always Trump Republican vote. Okay. So let me, let me, let me throw another uh, thought at you, not relating to Trump, but relating to Ron DeSantis. So the last two weeks have seen um, uh, on our part and a lot of other people's part, genuine uh, concern, upset and worry about the DeSantis effort to sort of court the, the NAFCONs and the SOCONs by saying that we have no, you know, we have no national interest in Ukraine and, you know, we shouldn't do this and we shouldn't do it. Well, I don't want to relitigate this, but, um, you know, our general proposition has been that um, uh, DeSantis uh, shouldn't be Trump light, right? Like he's got to be his own man. Well, there's going to be a temptation now, even more on his part to be Trump light on the grounds that, if there is disquiet among Republicans and if there is disquiet among the people who sort of like, let's say, are Trump fellow travelers, but not the Trump base, you're Trump, but you're not under indictment. So say all the Trumpy stuff, but your implicit offer is, uh, you know, I, I, I'm I'm going to end the drama like no, no one's coming after me for my personal misbehavior and for my tweets and for this and for that. And I think that would be a mistake because I think that this notion that Trumpism is what is attractive to people in the Republican Party as opposed to Trump's personality and combativeness and all of that, that there is no policy component to Trumpism that is that is separable from in the in 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 large bore that is separable from just being a conservative in a liberal atmosphere, right? For like leaving capitalism, not liking regulation, not liking wokeness, uh, all of that. And that it's not, you know, we should, we should, you know, feel uh, we should like Putin more and like China less or whatever it is. Like, I don't think that's driving votes or voters, at all but you can you can see how that temptation will be top of mind for the DeSantis people and for DeSantis himself maybe because they are tempted by this strat they were tempted by the strategy before right Trump's personal peccadilloes and criminality came front and center or potential I mean it's a good point because what he what a smart candidate could do is what DeSantis did in the early in the early run, uh, early bit of speculation about whether he would run, which is kind of ignore Trump, because the argument you can make is this country we're facing a lot of challenges right now: economic challenges, social challenges, foreign policy challenges. We need someone who can focus on those challenges, and right. someone who, as as Matt said, has spent the last you know four years wallowing in legal mired in legal difficulties, which would obviously still be ongoing during an election. You can simply say. You know, love him or hate him, but I he can't do this job anymore. In the same way that I think plenty of people can argue that that 
Many Americans don't think Biden has the physical fortitude to do the job again, even though I, our friend Rich Lowry has a pretty convincing article in Politico saying, you know what, we shouldn't assume he can't win. Incumbency carries a lot of rewards. But a smart Republican can simply say, we do have all these challenges, the same ones that we had when Trump won in 2016. We haven't solved them yet. We, we need someone who can solve them. And then that's a, also a, a opening for a more positive message for the Republicans. To- I, have, I have an interesting, let me just throw a bizarre thought experiment. You just came to me. That's why I'm, I'm interrupting Matt. DeSantis and Trump are in a debate. And DeSantis says, we have to move on from you. But you're being, you're, you know, I'm very worried that you're you're being mistreated. Uh, I if <clears throat> When I'm elected president, I will pardon you. Now think about this. I don't know if it's a good strategy, by the way, because maybe that would be really bad for the independents. But it makes him Trump's daddy. Yeah, I mean, it is. Think a, about it. It's interesting. Yeah, I mean, it, uh, I also think there there may be sub rosa conversations, uh, not between Bragg and Trump, but say if Jack Smith, the special prosecutor, comes to a point where they're um, uh, about to indict him on the documents around January sixth at the federal level. There may be conversations where the prosecutor says, you know, if you drop out of the race, we're not going to, you know, I don't know how that is actually. I don't really understand how that would be conveyed, actually, because that really starts getting into weird. That's like weird banana republic stuff. Like, like it could be tempting. what, What does that have to do with the job of a prosecution to say, you know, do this thing and we'll also we also know that in the terms of the Biden people, I was they, say, they yeah. may want him. They would have dragged that one out. Well, that's true. <laughs> I guess my point is it's it's yeah. very unpredictable to to what you're saying about the thought experiment. Can I, I want to raise um, Nate Cohn of the New York Times had a very good piece last week on DeSantis's problem. And uh, he had this graph uh, showing uh, basically how Trump has been on the ascent since January 15th and DeSantis mm-hmm. has been declining. I mean, it's within a pretty narrow band. Yeah. Um, but it's if you look at the re- graphic representation in the Nate Cone piece, you see basically what looks like a pair of scissors with Trump going up and DeSantis going down. And this began, according to Nate Cone, on January 15th, which is when Trump really began the attacks on DeSantis and the attacks on DeSantis for, you know, being a Paul Ryan Republican or um, wanting to cut entitlements or uh, various other, you know, uh, lines of attack that Trump has been and his surrogates have been using have gone unanswered by DeSantis. And this is a problem because, you know, if you let these attacks continue, then before you know it, Trump will have defined DeSantis even before DeSantis officially enters the race. The, the the kind of the uh, the the temptation and I think the also an opportunity is that you know the Trump's mounting legal challenges would be a way to push back and to and to attack Trump say look we if to exactly what Christine is saying the challenges are so great the opportunity for the Republican Party is there why would we have this flawed candidate run again um we we should be looking for somebody to do that at some point. Um, and, and if right. it's not going to be DeSantis, it will be one of the other candidates. If I mean, it I doesn't happen, if it doesn't happen, then Trump will win the nomination. Yeah, he'll win the nomination. I keep saying this, that he's the front runner. Someone's got to knock him off. And one of the problems with the idea that this will help him, Abe, I would put it this way, is... You know, okay, so maybe it helps him. But if you take the Mar-a-Lago 
uh, if you take what happened in Mar-a-Lago, they were like, oh, they did a raid, the FBI, it's out of control, da 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 And then the story is, I he has 300 or 350 documents he really shouldn't have in his possession. And they came and they said, give them back. And he said, okay. And then he didn't do it. And they was moving them around the building. I don't know if I want to... You know, I, I I don't know how much water I want to carry for this. So after a week or a week and a half, people wanted to separate themselves from the things that had been done at Mar-a-Lago. Now, that may not be the case with the Bragg indictment, if it's right. what we see. But Georgia and Jack Smith, I don't know, like... You know, I, I don't know that people are going to want to associate themselves with Trump on those those indictments or but, like I defend mean, him on those indictments, except but I think to what, say he's innocent until proven guilty, which. But I, I think what that tells us, though, is that it does matter how much there is there in these in these cases, actually, even though we yeah. think sort of it doesn't, because um, I was surprised when when the when the support for Trump sort of fell back, fell off um, in, the, in the wake of the of the Mar-a-Lago stuff. Um, but I think I think the actual um, the 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 substance of the situation mattered. This is very bad because, as we've said, there is there is virtually, you know, no one with any sort of credibility on either side that is saying that this is a good case. Well, and um, it, yeah, I, I just want to what, one more point. Even if w- the outcome doesn't ultimately help Trump, my my deeper concern is that, as I, as I said, it's bad for the country. Um, there's there's just no way around that. Uh, whether whether this somehow uh, through some sort of convoluted uh, series of events not knocks Trump out of the running, it's bad um, because the, the the hardcore contingent behind him will be more animated. Um, that oh, is sort really, of really it's really concern. bad. Yeah. <clears throat> let's talk about what's left. Let's talk about what's left on the table. Um, if Trump not only remains the focal issue, but even if he if he wins. Prosecuting the argument that the Biden family is a crime family, uh, which would seem to be in Trump's wheelhouse. And I, I don't know if what I'm saying here is like whether I'm just being cynical because it's not really a crime family. It doesn't really matter that much. But saying, look, you can call it a grift Hunter, family. Right. Hunter this, that, the other thing, but, you know, uh, million dollar payoffs to his, uh, to his, to Bo's widow from a Chinese company in 2017, weird stuff is going on there. You're going to want a Republican candidate who can prosecute that case that can't be dismissed as just, well, he's just trying to muddy the waters because he's got his own, he's got his own problems. You want someone who's more like Caesar's wife to be saying, you know, uh, I'm sorry, but uh, Joe, Joe, but that is there is there is hinky, gross stuff going on there. Well, that yeah, yeah, okay. That well, that's that's actually I was it. it, If you want to argue, if you're a a resistance forever type who just wants to see Trump in handcuffs, you don't care how he gets in the handcuffs, you don't care if it's a good case or bad, you just want to see that perp walk. There's a very there's a pretty solid contingent of Democrats who who want that for the country. But Abe's absolutely right, and you're right too, John. That that that's bad. What you need is a candidate who can say, 
we will create a banana republic. The real threat to democracy is to enshrine this idea that political opponents should use the legal system to prosecute each other about person, whether it's personal peccadilloes. It is actually not a threat to, to democracy that a man paid a porn star hush money. It happens all the time, unfortunately. <laughs> but what is a threat to democracy is, is uh, and I hate to use this phrase because it's become like a Jim Jordan fight, but weaponizing the system to go after political opponents in a way that even if there's a legitimate misdemeanor or even a felony, and we should pursue that. The whole approach is political. The effort is political. Right. The support for it is political. That's bad. That sets a precedent, whether it's Trump doing it to Biden in 2024 or what's happening to Trump now. That's a bad precedent. Right. And what I'm saying, by the way, about talking about the Biden case in an effort to sort of, you know, create, a, you know, the, the, the way you do negative campaigning um, isn't to say, and when I come in, I will make sure that Joe Biden is marched out in handcuffs. It is, you just went through four years of Trump. We've had four years of Biden. There's weird stuff going on there. Let's just end this already. Clean okay? slate. Clean okay? slate. We've had eight years. You know, we let, let let's just let's just <clears throat> let's just end this and go back to a world in which people are trying to like be president and be politicians because they're trying to, you know, like help run the country and they're not trying to enrich themselves, whatever, whatever you want to say. I mean, I, wh whatever the line is, but it gets back to this. This is about you. It's not about me. This is the election is about you. And it's not about being your retribution. It's literally about like running the government well and, you know, leading people in Washington and, putting America in a much more in a more secure place in the world. And that when I'm out of here, when I'm out of this office, I will leave America in better shape than I found it. You know, it's like you're hiring your super. And then when, when, when the super retires, the building is cleaner and the, you know, the, the pipes are clean, you know, and he really made maintained it well. And even maybe even like had some innovative ideas about how to save you money. <clears throat> this is very much a Manhattan analogy here but i'm just saying like at some point our politics has become this kind of kabuki play about the personalities of the people who lead it and that that's actually kind of a bit of a distortion i mean it is part of the rise of celebrity culture and everything like that but you know 2008 what did we have we had you know obama was going to make the oceans recede and he was a light worker and all of that and then trump comes in as this you know avenging angel and then Biden comes in as Mr., you know, as Mr., you know, clean and isn't really Mr. Clean. And like, let, like, let's get away from this. I think that's the uh, similar, not the same, but similar to the argument that uh, David Brooks made this week, also in The New York Times, where, you know, he wrote uh, at the end of his column arguing that both Trump and DeSantis could lose a nomination. David said, uh, quote, the elemental truth is that the Republican Party is like a baseball team that has tremendous talent in the minor leagues and a star pitcher who can't throw strikes or do his job. Sooner or later, there's going to be a change. Um, and while that's a, you know, that might be Mr. Rosy scenario there, uh, it, it is kind of to what you're saying, John, which is that there's a desire, I think, on a large part of the country just to um, get beyond this and get back to some type of uh, governance uh, and uh, some type of, you know, what were considered normal politics. I think eventually we'll get there. It's just going to, the question is just how much chaos and disruption and, you know, sad to say violence will uh, litter the path there. 
I mean, and, and that's, you know, this that's Abe's theme, I think, of this episode, which is it's just bad for the country that we have to go through this. And and the consequences uh, are unpredictable. And, you know, as we saw with January 6th, you just don't know what can happen when you introduce Trump into the system because it's so charismatic. It's so irrational. Um, it's so unlike politics as as we understood it. Uh, for most of our adult lives, um, that it, it, it can it can manifest itself in very um, you know unexpected and grotesque ways. Well, and Biden is it, there's a bit of a vacuum on the other side of the aisle too. Like he is not a charismatic person. I mean, I was remembering, I was recalling the bumper stickers that I saw around uh, any functioning adult 2020. That was like yeah. this joke bumper sticker. You could really have that same argument today. I mean, and the functioning part is different for whether you're talking about Trump or Biden, but there is a real sense that if the Democrats had more leadership on their side, that would at least offer some counterweight to the to the kind of what you're, I think, completely accurately describing, Matt, in terms of what's happening on the right. I, I, I'm one of the things that unnerves me when you mention the possibility of violence is we've now seen this in 2020, 2021, 2022, which is that the Democrats have their violent people that they make excuses for, and the Republicans have their violent people that they make excuses for. The Tucker Carlson corkscrew defense of the January 6th um you know uh invaders of the capital as just being you know tourists on a trip and just being wandering and having been horribly mistreated yeah. right ha- is a it's not quite a direct analogy to the <clears throat> to the people who were you know trashing Portland and Minneapolis and you know in cities in the wake of George Floyd in part because they were in much smaller numbers. Uh, but of course, it was like a site-specific event, uh, the January 6th, uh, you know, insurrection. And um, and so what happens if there's violence? Suddenly it'll be there's violence and it'll be, well, are you going to defend it? Are you going to say it's, I mean, who's going to say it's okay? Like you could have this weird thing where, Marjorie Taylor Greene, you could only need one prominent or like, you know, sort of like somebody you can focus on Republican to say he didn't really do anything. And they they came down on like a ton of bricks. And then you have the Democrats who are in charge of the House and Senate, who could, of course, then, you know, convene hearings and try to connect it to January 6th and say this is another threat to democracy because they're going after, you know, a legitimate indictment in our judicial system. And and we'd just be in this situation in which the banana republic quality of the United States, you know, in you know, after the really after the financial meltdown is gonna start being very hard to argue with. Because when you say my mob is better than your mob, or my mob is okay because you know its heart is in the right place, or something like that. That's a new wrinkle. It's not that everybody, everybody has always had this from time immemorial. This is the nature of, you know, uh, this is the nature of uh, societies that you support the people who do violence on your side because you, you, you know, and justify the means for you whenever, whatever those ends are. 
But we built an entire architecture and structure of our government in order to prevent that. That is why we have checks and balances. It's why we have lots of different governments all over the country that are kind of in competition with each other. It was to leech this away. And we're now sort of like it's congealing again. And we're about to have a test of what that's going to be like. If you remember, like in 2010, what the Democrats were de- 20, 2009, 2010, they were desperate for the Tea Party to go violent and to be a disruptive force. And then the Tea Party came to Washington. They came and they had this big, you know, 500,000 people were there and they cleaned up the mall. They left, they d- did all garbage pickup and they left the mall pristine and all of that. And they were walking around with their little constitutions in their pockets and they were very polite and all of that. And this effort to tag them with being an irredentist revolutionary force failed and very important that it failed for you know republican political ends uh you know in those years and it wouldn't be like that today you know q shaman isn't cleaning up you know, right. the, you know, isn't isn't going back and like reglazing the window that he broke to get into the Capitol, you know. And so I I don't know. This is a very unnerving because right. I don't know what one one once you lose that, once you lose that, you know, when the Overton window is or the uh, the boundary is breached, I don't know how you rebuild it. We should say too, I mean the um it's not just from the right. Uh, no. New York is a very um, left-leaning city, and <laughs> there are a lot of people who really hate Trump's guts. Trump has some very committed supporters there as well. I mean, so Manhattan itself, you know, you just don't know how it will uh, shake out. And look, no, but I mean, you can come in on the, you can come in on the Long Island Railroad from Suffolk County. There are plenty. Of oh, I remember. I yeah. no, I yeah. remember the day that Trump announced I was actually leaving town, and I was in Penn Station that morning. Yeah, about to get on the train to D.C., and there are all these people coming off NJT, the New Jersey Transit, with Trump signs. Yeah, I said, well, this is unusual. Yeah, and then of course I get back in D.C. and the the announcement speech is going on. But I'll say, I mean, look, what are we seeing in Atlanta right now? We're seeing far left terrorists attack this planned um, police education center. The cover of the Atlantic Monthly this month is on the new anarchy. It focuses a lot on Portland and the collapse of the rule of law in Portland. By the way, Alvin Bragg, maybe he should be enforcing the rule of law in his city, (laughs) you know, instead of going after Trump. That's what makes this act, if it actually happens in the coming days or weeks, so irresponsible is that the you know, it takes all sides to uphold the rule of law. And if one side isn't doing its job, unfortunately, that just means it's more incumbent on the other side to do its. And Alvin Bragg is not acting as the responsible caretaker of the laws here. I mean, maybe Fonnie Willis will be more responsible. Maybe Jack Smith will be more responsible. But what we can say is Alvin Bragg is being irresponsible if he brings these charges against Trump. If this is the case, as it's been telegraphed to us, that he thinks he has against Donald Trump. Okay, um, we should move on very briefly. Uh, So uh, today um, is the 20th anniversary of the uh, American invasion of 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 Iraq. 
Um, we had Eli Lake on the other week to talk about his piece, uh, The Iraq War 20 Years Later, in commentary, which I commend to your attention at commentary.org. And um, there, of course, have been a lot of commemorative pieces and look-back pieces and all of that. And um, the, the most striking to me was in the New York Times on Saturday. Uh, and what it said was, uh, Iraq is unquestionably, which is really the theme of Eli's piece, Iraq itself is unquestionably a freer place. But it's not a very hopeful place. It's not hopeful. Um, and it's like, uh, okay, so it's freer, but it's not hopeful. That actually, I would say, is um, a contradiction in terms, because if the Iraqis were living under a totalitarian yoke with a madman dictator... What would be the level of hope in February of 2003 in Iraq? Did anybody have any hope? Was there such a thing as hope? I mean, yeah. I, mean I don't really care about the ho how, how hopeful the Iraqis are, right? That's not, but I'm just saying it was striking because the peace had to be balanced when they said, okay, look, you know, there have been five, there have been these elections and all of this, and there's a free press, you know, and, you know, but people are very, they don't have a lot of hope because there's a lot of corruption. And I, I, I don't mean to be slighting about corruption, but it's like the level, the refusal or inability to say that all the blood and treasure that we expended was in the service of nothing, the desperate desire to continue that argument when it is clearly patently false at least in the case of what life is like for people in Iraq. Okay. That's my oh, it's so, no, it's amazing. I mean, especially when you compare it with uh, the current situation in Afghanistan, right? I mean, Afghanistan, we, America lost the war in Afghanistan. The Taliban, 20 years after invasion, rule Afghanistan. Is Afghanistan, is there much hope in Afghanistan? No, there's zero hope. Because every report that we get out of Afghanistan shows the Taliban are acting just as they used to. They're imposing the most uh, retrograde, um, uh, strictest form of Islamic law. They are depriving the citizens, especially women, of all of their rights. And they, they, they make no apologies for terrorism. In fact, the, what they're doing, the Taliban is now increasing its terrorism in Pakistan which is a his, an irony of history since the Taliban itself is a creation of the palace uh, of the Pakistani intelligence services. Uh, I've just been struck over the weekend in the run up to the uh, anniversary of the invasion with the self-flagellation on the part of America. I mean, you can think that the Iraq war was a mistake. Most Americans do think the Iraq war is a mistake, but can we just look at the facts on the ground here? The Baathists are not in power in Iraq right? So the Taliban is in power in Afghanistan. The Baathists are not in power in Iraq. We will never again have to worry about the Iraqi regime obtaining weapons of mass destruction. That is not, it's not I'm not saying never, not in our lifetimes. I can make that prediction. Um, the people are freer. The people are richer. There's more hope there. You know, I love how everyone is, the, the line against uh, Iraq and our, the, the, the mission there was, we're well, not creating Jefferson democracy. I was thinking about that the other day. You know, Iraq is freer than Jeffersonian democracy because in Jefferson's time, uh, most of the population in the South was enslaved. Okay. So that's not happening in Iraq today. And what, they have a lot of corruption? Well, you know, Tammany Hall democracy, 
that's not actually such a bad outcome for the Iraqi people. Yeah. Um, and if you just simply, I was going back and reading uh, a speech uh, from an American president. He said, uh, you know, Saddam Hussein's Iraq reminds us of what we learned in the 20th century and warns us of what we must know about the 21st. In this century, we learned through harsh experience that the only answer to aggression and illegal behavior is firmness, determination, and when necessary, action. Um, if we fail to respond to Saddam and all those who follow in his footsteps, they will be emboldened tomorrow by the knowledge that they can act with impunity, even in the face of a clear message from the United Nations Security Council and a clear evidence of a weapons of mass destruction program. That's President Bill Clinton in February of 1998. So what really got my gourd over the weekend were, were a few think pieces uh, that I saw, including one in the New York Times, where it's like, what a possessed America to invade Iraq? What We will never know. And the New York Times columnist Max Fisher said, you know, it's just like we don't know what possessed Putin to invade Ukraine. Now, I'm sorry, that is the basest form of moral equivalence. And we know exactly why America invaded Iraq. We can go to Bill Clinton's speech in 1990. We can see the same arguments being made by George W. Bush in the aftermath of 9-11. The threat was Saddam, you know. And now he's gone. And I think we should just take a moment to appreciate all that America sacrificed, all that Iraqi sacrificed to achieve that outcome. Can I just add my favorite of the New York Times pieces on this was the one that said um, the real winner of the Iraq war was Iran. Uh, this is from the paper that has been advocating <laughs> that we reward and support uh, uh uh iran for 20 plus years and now and now and now they're suddenly very distraught over over iran's rise i i'm going to be a squish and say this which is that i think that the argument that can be made which is the question of whether the blood and treasure that the united states expended in iraq was worth it that's a legitimate conversation to have, and I'm not sure that it has an answer, but I certainly understand the majority of Americans who have decided and have basically held the opinion for a decade that it was not. That as a as a war of choice, so to speak, uh, the choice in the end might have been the wrong one. None of that gets to the question of whether we are in a better position because we did it or whether the Iraqis or the, or the larger Middle East is in a better position because we did it. I think particularly also in the question of the larger Middle East, I don't think there's a question that despite the horrors of what's going on in Syria and the, and the threat that is posed by Iran, that the Middle East is not better off for the United States having overthrown the Iraqi regime. I think the, the general change in the temperature, climate, and condition of the Persian Gulf, particularly in relation to Israel, is un, is inseparable from what happened in Iraq, though it's a, it's obviously like a, a secondary effect or an after effect or something like that. Again, doesn't mean that it was worth the blood and treasure. Um, that doesn't mean that you can't say, okay, well, here, there's a ledger, you know, there's this and there's that, and this is some of the good things that happened. We all understand, I think, what bad things have happened, including to American self-confidence, including to this kind of self-flagellation that Matt is talking about, that is leading people like 
Ron DeSantis and others to imagine that American military action or involvement outside our borders is bad or should be viewed as something that should not be undertaken except in unbelievably egregious, like in, in circumstances in which, you know, someone is literally pointing a nuclear, we're about to drop a nuclear bomb on us. And, and, and you understand why that happened and what it was that Trump was getting at when he sort of altered the Republican foreign policy vision in his own direction and why that was part of the after effect of Iraq and why maybe you don't go into, you don't fight a war anymore unless you can go in all four four fronts and not go in in Iraq when you can't come in from the north. I don't even know what to say. Like, there's all kinds of what ifs here. Right. I think uh, just uh, I wanted to, two quick things to, to, on Abe's point. I think he's exactly right. I mean, can we just take a step and ask ourselves, well, what would the Middle East look like if uh, Saddam was still there, quote unquote, balancing Iran? Well, in the 1980s, it was one of the bloodiest wars, in the, you know, in the history of the region. Uh, human waves of human of young people being sent across by the, the mullahs to encounter Saddam's mines, the use of chemical weapons. I mean, that again, this idea that the equilibrium between Iraq and Iran would somehow be under Saddam, Iraq, and, and the mullahs in Iran be more stable than the situation we have today with the free Iraq is um, just very mind boggling to me. And the second, John, just to your point, I think you're exactly right. I mean, we so for uh, for much of the post-war, post-World War II era, American foreign policy operated under the so-called lessons of Munich of the Munich agreement. Um, and that, that, that is, the lessons of Munich was that America would not appease dictators and that we would try to create a post-war order where the balance of power favored freedom to use Condi Rice's phrase. Of course, Vietnam ended that. And so between the fall of Vietnam, uh, in 1975 and, um, basically Gulf War I in 1991, America was operating under Vietnam syndrome. And it took a lot to get past Vietnam syndrome. Um, then we had our unipolar moment. But since basically 2008, we've been living under a rock syndrome. And I think the lesson for me of the past weekend is that uh, we're still suffering from it. I mean, we have a rock syndrome up the wazoo. And it's going to take a lot to restore American self-confidence in arms and in our ideals. I think that's a very important and interesting observation. And the way that you defeated the way that Vietnam syndrome was defeated was with the first Gulf war, or you could even say there were things along the way, the, the, uh, the deposing Noriega and Panama being, being one of them. Um, you can't get out of Iraq syndrome uh, un until you have an event that resets the map and unfortunately we're in iraq syndrome double time because of afghan because of what biden did in afghanistan which raises the feeling of hopelessness i think on the part of a lot of the veterans of these of these conflicts that you had this moment it's like really this is what i joined up for you know i was in helmand and now you know <clears throat> For no particular reason, we ended up, you know, giving up, you know, blowing out the candle there. And it's, it's, um, I don't know how you, how you recover that. And one of the ways you could recover it, obviously, is with a victory, however you want to describe that, 
in Ukraine against Russia that we don't even won't even have boots on the ground in, but in which we participate in the resetting of the international map in a clear, uh, morally unambiguous, proper re you know proper reclamation of moral and political and geopolitical authority. Absent that. The the fact that Ron DeSantis was tempted in the other direction um, shows that, you know, Iraq syndrome, which we would expect in the Democratic Party, is also rife in the Republican Party and that it's a kind of new consensus, basically. And that, yeah, so how do you break a consensus? Well, facts on the the, the facts on the grounds of the earth have to change. Okay, we will be back tomorrow. Um, although I think Christine will not be with us tomorrow, so we will we will struggle without her. Uh, but for Christine and Abe and Matt, I'm John Pugwaritz. Keep the camera.